Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. It is a very busy season. It is a very sometimes stressful season. Uh, I was I have to be careful because everything's recorded now and online. My parents watch this, but I was last night uh, thinking of my family in California. I'm like, oh, I still need to buy them a gift. And I found myself endlessly scrolling through Amazon, clicking on list after list. And every, after a while, it all just kind of seems the same. Every present looks the same. Uh, you know, but it's a, it's a joyful season, too, as much as it can be stressful and challenging. Um, and I just love to see the Carsey family up here and uh, just the elements of innocence and joy that, um, that are so present in this season. Um, if you were with us last week, uh, Pastor Aaron uh, shared uh, in week two of our Advent series. And our theme, our overarching theme in this season has been joy to the world. And uh, in week one, as we looked at this um, famous Christmas song that was written not originally for Christmas, not even originally as a song, but as a poem put to music later, uh, we know that it's based on Psalm 98, which is this beautiful poetic description of the salvation of God and how the whole earth, all of creation, responds to that salvation. And then last week, um, Pastor Aaron walked us through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, um, the idea of the light that comes through this, uh, this man named Jesus this Savior that was prophesied 700 years before he would be born. Today's message, we're going to continue in that theme, but one of the things that we're going to look at today is doubt and where doubt and joy meet and how that transformation happens. Um, Years ago during the Christmas season, the pastor of my church decided to have a little fun with the congregation and ask us how much we all really knew about the Christmas story. Well, of course we know it, right? We see it every year. We, we see the, the depictions on people's front lawns with nativity scenes. We go to Christmas pageants. Of course, in church, we talk about it. So many of the illustrations and visuals are all around us, the unavoidable. But nevertheless, our pastor asked us a few questions to gauge how much we really know the details of the Christmas story. He asked one question. How many wise men were there? To which everybody responded, three, of course. But the Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. Only that there was three gifts. And of course, everybody started thumbing through their Bibles immediately. He couldn't possibly rewrite. And another question he asked is, what did the angels sing to the shepherds? And of course, everybody said, glory to God on earth. Glory in the highest. Peace on earth to good. Goodwill toward men. I'm watching it, but you know what I mean. And, 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 of course, he said wrong. The angels said that. They didn't sing it. And, again, we checked our Bibles, and he was right. Okay, the third question he asks is, what animal did Mary ride to on Bethlehem? Everybody knows this. A donkey. No donkey is ever mentioned in Scripture. <laughs> so now you're wondering how well you know the Christmas story, right? And when our pastor did this, I felt a mix of disbelief. He couldn't possibly be right. And shame. I thought I knew this better, especially as a church kid growing up. Of all the stories of the Bible, we should know this one, right? I mean, we see the imagery everywhere. One of the things this highlights for us, though, is that oftentimes 
our images of who God is are inaccurate or imbalanced or not even tied to Scripture. And if that's true for the Christmas story, what other things might it be true about who we know God to be and who, in light of who God is, how he might respond to us in our current state? Now, none of these details that our pastor quizzed us with fundamentally change the story of Christmas. But for me as a kid at that time, growing up in the church, it was a bit of a wake-up call. And certainly, we all need to be very careful to never tweak the Word of God, to make it fit neatly in a presentable box. And now, more than ever, there's a temptation to do this in our post-Christian culture. We say, well, let's, let's remove a few words Let's ignore some others. Let's paint a picture of who God is and how he works that fits more comfortably on our front lawn, <laughs> like a nativity scene. I remember when we started to have kids, we bought all these kids' Bibles, right, that have the images of them. And I was shocked at how many of children's Bibles even <laughs> depicted these things as if they were fact. So for good reason, the, the key themes that we often focus on during the Christmas season uh, are centered on what we've been reading in Advent, in our Advent readings, joy, love, peace, and hope. But did you know that those aren't the only themes of the Christmas story? This morning, we're going to look at the most, one of the most overlooked themes of the Christmas story. In fact, it's the beginning of the story. And this theme is one of doubt. And what we'll find is that doubt is oftentimes the starting point of our knowledge of God. It's often the starting point of a life that God desires for us to transition into fully filled with joy. And so I'm going to pray this morning. We're going to look at the story of the Bible from Luke chapter 1. Let's pray together first. Father, this morning, I... I, I thank you that we can come to you with all that we are. Our highest highs and our lowest lows, they don't intimidate you. They don't make you react emotionally and push us away or draw us closer even. That you love us fully right now. And Lord, you understood what it means to be human because you experienced it. You came down. That's what we remember in this season. You can empathize with us. You can sympathize with us. And you have a message for us this morning that we need to hear. So may we truly hear your words from your holy scripture. And Lord, if we're in a season of doubt, may you meet us there and lead us to something new this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, many of you know this. There are four accounts of Jesus' life. But only two accounts start far enough back where we get a picture of what his birth was like. And these accounts are Matthew and Luke. So this morning, morning we're going to look at the pre-birth story of Jesus from Luke's gospel. And in this account, Jesus' birth announcement actually overlaps with the birth announcement of his cousin John, who would eventually come to be known as the Baptist, which I think is a pretty cool name. So we're actually going to go ahead and start there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pews in front of you, or you could probably do a quick search on an app store and download one right there as well. Luke chapter 1, 
verse 5. And if, we're, if I was to give a title to today's message, it would be Doubt Transforming to Joy. Doubt Transforming to Joy. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Let's see if my little clicker works here. There we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, I can imagine Zechariah, we already know he's not a young guy. Him and his wife are, as the Bible says, old. And the angel comes to him and says, your prayer has been heard. And Zechariah's probably like, what prayer? <laughs> at this point, right? It certainly, he certainly wasn't imagining it was the prayer of having a child at this point in his life. Your prayer has been heard. But I'm very old. Find someone this morning and say, you're very, just kidding, don't do that. Let's continue on in the story. Verse 18 says this, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this, the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. She probably had morning sickness. So, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are old, but we get a picture of the type of faithful, committed God followers that they are in the very beginning of this passage. He may be old, but he's an old priest. <laughs> so he knows the scriptures. He knows the ways of God. But what we see right from the very beginning is just because you know those things, just because you've been walking with the Lord, just because you've been going to church for a long time, doesn't mean you don't struggle with doubt and disbelief. How could this be? <laughs> and my wife is pregnant. 
And, and just because he's old doesn't matter, doesn't, doesn't mean that he doesn't still have some growing to do. And I think that is somebody you could, something you could say to somebody this morning. Don't say they're old. But say, hey, you, all, you have, still have some growing to do. We all do. No matter how long you've been following the Lord. No matter how many church services or Christian events you've participated in. So Zechariah doubts, and the angel meets his doubt by flashing some credentials. So does the name Gabriel sound familiar? Well, for Zechariah, he, he, he hasn't grown up with the Christmas traditions, hearing the name of Gabriel like we have. But what he had grown up doing, especially as a priest, is he had read the Old Testament. He knew the Holy Scriptures that had been written up to that point. And so when Gabriel identifies himself, immediately Zechariah would recognize the name as the same Gabriel who appeared to Daniel many, many years before. So Gabriel essentially saying, I'm not just any lowly angel here. I am Gabriel. I was just hanging out with God. He told me to say this to you. We get a little bit of edge, a little bit of kind of parental frustration uh, that is visible in Gabriel there. And at this point, we don't know still what level of Zachariah's doubt is, but Gabriel is so bothered by his disbelief that he says, your mouth is going to stay shut until you have something good to say. <laughs> Literally, you're not going to be able to speak until your son's born. We'll revisit why that may be in just a moment. So this is the, we, we wait in here because Gabriel is then going to appear again with another announcement, actually to a relative of Zechariah. Six months later, Gabriel has an even more miraculous message to deliver. Hard to believe, considering the age of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But this time, this message is going to be announced to a young, yet-to-be-married woman named Mary. Let's keep reading together. Luke chapter 1, to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Zachariah's first response to Gabriel was fear and doubt. Mary's was confusion and doubt. It says that she was, essentially she was troubled and she wondered about how this could be. But just like with Zechariah, Gabriel explains further. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
If I were to say to, to you all right now that under each of your seat is $100, after your initial surprise, you'd check, wouldn't you? Like, all of you would check. But what if I said under each of your seat is $1 million? You'd laugh at me. You wouldn't even bother to check. It doesn't fit. You don't have it. The church doesn't have it. Nobody has that money just to be given out, especially to this many people. Zachariah and Mary both responded to the word of God with this kind of doubt, this kind of uncertainty. There's no way this could happen. This is impossible. An old couple struggling with infertility all of their lives, a virgin, and it didn't even matter that the angel was delivering this message. It was still just too fantastic. In this case, it's kind of understandable, right? This kind of stuff is really hard to believe. If any of us were in that same position, we would certainly wrestle with doubt ourselves. It's interesting to see how Gabriel, God's messenger, responds to doubt differently with the two individuals. Did you notice that? With Zechariah's doubt, the angel took his voice. Really as like a type of discipline for his doubt. And what I never thought of before as I'd read this was how Zechariah's response and even his discipline would foreshadow how later religious leaders would respond to Jesus' words. We were walking through the book of Mark this fall, and we saw how whenever Jesus began to teach, it was the religious leaders, those that knew Scripture, steeped in it, that said, I don't know about this. And so we see that reflected in Zechariah as well. To deal with Mary's doubt, the angel sends her to her older cousin's home. And Mary knew her cousin was old and had never been able to have a baby. And there was a type of shame in that culture that surrounded infertility. But God, Gabriel, instead of disciplining Mary for her doubt, he sends her to see a sign, a confirmation that what was just spoken to her will come to pass because, look, your older cousin is also pregnant. And in this case, we also get a taste of Jesus' future ministry. So many of the miracles that Jesus would do were to demonstrate that his word was true. So he sends Mary to see one. And so many of the doubts that the, the people had when they heard Jesus' message were often met with compassion. For the religious people, there's discipline. For those that just didn't know, there was uttermost compassion. And so we see those things represented in this interaction. In both cases, though, God meets Zechariah and Mary with a demonstration of his power. There's a lot of stories in the Bible that are easy for me to disassociate from. I can't relate to either Zechariah or Mary's circumstances. And some of you may be able to relate to elements of them, but not fully. I can't relate to other stories in the Bible, like being freed in a dramatic way from slavery or being saved from a flood like Noah or taking out a giant like David. It's easy when we read Scripture to disassociate from them, to not resonate with the story. But in this story, I think there's something that we can all relate with, and that's doubt. I can. I can understand how it's hard to believe that there really is a God who created me and wants me to know about him. 
I can relate to knowing what it feels like to be hopelessly stuck in life and not really believe that this same creator God has heard my prayer and loves me. I can get why it's hard to believe that there is actually a way to be freed from this sin that I just can't seem to shake in my life. To be forgiven for it. To be healed from my own hurts and my own brokenness. Can you relate to those things as well? If you can, then I think you can resonate with this story. I think we can enter right into the Christmas story from the moment it begins. And it begins with doubt. Here's an interesting thought. The doubt in the Christmas story was centered on an announcement of new life. It wasn't, hey, go look in the field for this money or all your wildest dreams are going to come true. The doubt was about new life coming. That was what was being announced. Babies are going to be born. One wanted for years by Zachariah and Elizabeth and the other to marry for someone who wasn't ready, wasn't even married, wasn't even on her radar. The promise of new life met with doubt. And this key theme of the Christmas story 2,000 years ago is still a powerful theme in our lives today. And maybe that's what you're sitting in right now. You're sitting in this kind of doubt. You, you doubt that God is real. You doubt that he loves you. You doubt that a new life is possible. That who you are now is who you will always be. I've been praying prayers for 80 years, Andrew. God hasn't answered them yet. I've been wrestling with this sin since I was a teenager. Still not free from it. If you are sitting in doubt this morning, you're in pretty good. I would say actually even heroic company. Not only is doubt a part of the Christmas story, but it's a part of the story of the people of God. All of the heroes that we think of in Scripture, many of them first doubted. The power of God, the word of God, the promise of God, the reality of God. Doubt is not always, though, a complete rejection of God. Sometimes it's just an uncertainty. Is God's word really true? The things I hear at church, the things I've read in my Bible, is that really for me or is that for somebody else? God gave a word to Zechariah and to Mary, and they were uncertain at best. But he didn't reject them. At that point, he responded to them. He responded to their uncertainty with a personal example of his power. And after that, he did what he always does. God kept his word. In interactions between Gabriel and Zachariah and Mary, there is one line that Gabriel says that pierces our doubt when he says, for no word from God will ever fail. Do we believe that this morning? It doesn't matter what time in history, what your circumstances, or what level of doubt you have, no word from God will ever fail. Imagine how differently that might make us approach Scripture. When the culture is against it, when our own sin seems too much to overcome, when we read Scripture and we think no word from God will ever fail, 
What kind of hope does that give? Well, how does that affect our doubt? How does that change our mindset and how we're to live today? No word from God will ever fail. Obviously, we know what happened next in the story. God kept his word. John was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Zechariah's voice was given back to him. And the very first thing he said was, his name is John. Jesus was born to Mary, and the world was literally changed forever. You cannot believe in God. You can deny the importance of Jesus, but you cannot deny the impact that Jesus' birth had on history. Eventually, the doubt of Mary and Zechariah ran full on into God's faithfulness. And God took that doubt. He wasn't intimidated by it, but he, as he kept his word, he transformed that doubt into joy. Zachariah and Mary both respond to the miracles of their children with joy expressed in a song. I encourage you to read the rest of Luke chapter 1 sometime today. Read the song of Zechariah and the song of Mary. When God kept his word, that's how they responded. And there's two reasons why I think this type of expression of joy is powerful. Joy comes from a deeper place than happiness. Sometimes when we're happy, we just go, woo, you know, we just kind of make that excited noise, right? Right then, I mean, that's Christmas morning. I hear that throughout my house. <laughs> but joy comes from a deeper place. And so for Zachariah and Mary, this, this poetry that they wrote, the this, this songs that they sung, it captures that. They're not just an ecstatic expression, but they're an expression of the truth of God, something they've experienced. Out of the outflow of their doubt, joy. The other reason it's powerful in this case is that these songs are an expression of worship. When we meet with God in this way, when we see his faithfulness up close, when we understand his power, we can't help but say, oh, God, you are good. You are worth worshiping. And I'm not just talking about song. I'm talking about our very lives devoted to God. That's a biblical picture of worship. God's faithful word that will never fail has the power to transform us, to transform us from lost to found, from orphan to son and daughter, from doubt-filled, fearful person to faith-filled follower. Years later, Mary would um, revisit doubt in her life. Doubt would come back to her when she would see her son, Jesus, hanging from a cross. Can you imagine what was going through her minds in that moment, her mind in that moment? What about all these things that Jesus has said and done? What about this forgiveness of sin and this restoration that he was speaking of? What about the promise of a new life, a new kingdom? What about the miraculous demonstrations that he'd done, he, multiplying food and walking on water and healing people? All of those things. And now he's on the cross, being tortured, dying. What about what Gabriel had said to me so very long ago about the greatness of Jesus' kingdom knowing no end? 
Is this it? Is this the end? As significant as the birth of Jesus was, and this announcement that we've read this morning, the cross was even more significant. The cross wasn't the end of something. It was the beginning. Jesus' death looked like defeat, but it wasn't. It was actually a new announcement. And one not just for one person in one time, but for all people in all times. This was the announcement to all of humanity, an announcement superseding Gabriel's, because this new life that was coming was coming for everyone. You've heard Jesus' words on this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This new birth announcement, greater than John, more significant than what Mary even experienced, was for everybody. Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, meets us in our doubts today. Jesus was given to the world, to you and to me, and then he gave himself for us, perfect for the imperfect, sinless for the sinful, faithful and true for the doubter and the fearful. And because of the cross, the announcement of the new life that is possible through Jesus still rings out today. And because of the resurrection, we can have absolute confidence that no word of God will ever fail. Amen. Amen. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't the final word. It was simply the announcement of a new birth that was possible for each of us that placed our faith in Jesus. And he backed it up with the resurrection, the ultimate sign of power, power over death, power over our sin, and now a way for us to be included in the family of God. So the Christmas story is still an invitation of new life. Today, that's what we are celebrating. That's what we're remembering. It's an, it's an invitation of life made possible by Jesus, by his life, his death, and his resurrection. And you and I, we're invited today where we sit, where we stand, to move from doubt to trust, from fearful to faith-filled. This is where the Christmas story begins. But it doesn't end there. It ends with us saying yes to him. So this morning I pray and I hope that you will do that. You will renew that trust. That your doubts will become less and your joy will become more. And if you haven't taken that initial step, if you're still fully in the doubt camp, today might be that day for you to consider the word of God that never fails. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the, the themes of love, joy, peace, and hope. But we also thank you for the room to be in doubt, for the grace to be afraid at times, but that you don't leave us there, you meet us there. You don't wait for us to overcome our doubt, to get rid of our fear, to become perfect, sinless people. You say, come. You invite us to you the one who made us, who dreamed of us, who breathed life into us. 
And Father, this morning I pray that we would see the Christmas story in all of its glory, in all of its truth, all of its nuance. And Lord, you might restore us where we are dry, that you might lift us up out of our doubts, that you might give us true joy, joy that's found only in you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder this morning of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.